0: And we're going to turn now to Mark chapter 2, page 1004 in the Church Bible. It's Mark chapter 2. And we're going to um, just spend some time this afternoon thinking about um, prayer, because this week we have a week of prayer coming up, and it's often helpful at the start of a week of prayer to have a bit of a think about prayer and why it matters But in particular, we're going to think about the subject of fasting, and how prayer and fasting go together, and what does that mean for us, and how does that have a part, does that have any part in our lives, and how should that all work? So this Sunday, um, we're going to look at the subject of fasting, and next Sunday, we're going to look at the subject of feasting. Because both of those realities express what it means to be a Christian. Christians should be people who both fast and feast. And we're going to work out and think about those um, two subjects uh, over the next uh, two Sundays. Kind of as a run-up to Christmas um, to help us. To avoid the excesses of Christmas but to enjoy the good things of Christmas. um, As we prepare for for Advent. But let's read um, from Mark chapter 2. Uh, We're going to read verses 18 to verses 22. And here is Jesus teaching us about fasting. So, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours the new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I wonder how you feel about a sermon on prayer and fasting. I wonder if that fills you with uh, excitement, joy, interest, a fear that you may leave feeling guilty, It may be that you're here and you're not even a Christian and you go, man, this just confirms everything I thought about church. Well, just hold on. I think what we're going to see about fasting might surprise you and might not be what you expect. If it doesn't, you don't get your money back. It's just the way it is. (laughs) But we need to have a look carefully at what Jesus teaches about fasting. So here's the scene Pharisees and John and his disciples, John the Baptist, his disciples, they're fasting. People notice that and they look at Jesus and his friends and they're not fasting and they're quite, they say, well, why? Why aren't you fasting? Just to be clear, uh, fasting in this particular context means specifically denying yourself food for a sp- specific amount of time in order to engage on it with spiritual things. And so they see John's disciples doing that and the Pharisees doing that but they don't see Jesus' disciples doing that. So they ask, why? Why aren't you doing it? And Jesus' answer is fascinating. You see, what he does is he says you need to understand how the whole of human history works if you're going to understand fasting. So here's a very simple um, diagram of the whole of human history. Um, There's a grey bit Um, and then there's a yellow bit, and then there's a pale yellow bit, and then there's a bright yellow bit. That's human history, all of it. Okay? The grey bit, the first bit, that is the time before Jesus came. And that was a time when the people lived under the law. That was a time when people were given laws to obey in order that they might live as God's people. And part of that was fasting. Fasting. And there were all sorts of reasons in that first chunk why people would fast. And in that grey chunk, there was always a sense that there was something big coming. And you were fasting, longing for something that was coming. So that was the first chunk. We'll do a bit more on this in a second. But that was the first chunk. Then, Jesus comes. That's the yellow bit in the middle. Jesus arrives. And he says... I'm what that was all about. All of that stuff that was been going on, it was about me. So that time is finished, because now it's me. And so you might expect this to be a much simpler view of human history, that all we go from is grey to yellow. But Jesus says, no, no, there's something you need to understand. He says, you don't fast now, because the bridegroom's here, well, unpack that a bit more in a second, but then he says in verse 20, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus talks about himself as the bridegroom, and he says, look, I've arrived, I'm here, so it's not a time for fasting now, but then he says, the time is coming when I will be taken away, and that will be a time for fasting again. So you might expect it to go, okay, so it's going to go grey, yellow, then we're back to grey again. No, because now that Jesus has come, fasting is different, it's changed. Because we no longer live in the grey bit, we live after the yellow bit, so now we're in the pale yellow bit. You all got this? If anyone says to you tomorrow, what did you learn at church yesterday? This is it, right? simple. And so Jesus is saying he's come, so something has profoundly changed but he's also not here physically. He is right now physically in heaven. And so he says, it is appropriate to fast again. There is a right sense of fasting now because he's not here until one day he finally comes and then it will be yellow all the way for eternity, for billions and billions of years. Right? That's roughly what Jesus is saying. And he says, the trouble is, if you don't understand the bit of time you're living in, then you'll get it wrong. So he says, if you think that this is what the new wine, old wineskin, if you try and put the yellow bit in the grey bit, you're going to end up in a mess. You fast when you're in the grey bit, you've got, you, you, you do old wine fasting there, but now there's a new time, and so now you fast in a new way, so we've got to work out what that is. If you're completely lost, don't worry We're going to go through it again and we're going to show you what it means. So here's Jesus. The question's been asked, why don't your disciples fast? And here is the two big points I want us to learn this afternoon. Here is the first main point. Fasting cannot do what Jesus can do. Okay, just think about that for a second. Fasting cannot do what Jesus can do. What I mean is that in the grey bit, before Jesus came, the people tried to live in such a way that they would please God. They tried to obey God's law. They tried to do stuff in order to earn their place with God. They tried to do stuff to please him. But the problem was, it could never change their hearts. It was always the problem with the law. The law was powerless to change the heart inside. So the law did a good job of showing you where you were going wrong and the law did a good job of showing you what you were supposed to be but it didn't have the power to change you. And so the people would fast and they would fast and they would try and keep the laws but it made no difference to their hearts. And Jesus comes along and he says, it's because it was all about me. And this is where we need to understand what he means when he calls himself the bridegroom. He says, look, I've now come and I am the bridegroom. Now, that title of Jesus, when he calls himself the bridegroom, a weird thing to call yourself, it's actually very beautiful. This is what Jesus is saying when he calls himself the bridegroom. Right, let's go back to the very, very first ever marriage, the first ever bridegroom in the Bible. So the first bridegroom in the Bible, his name was Adam. Very good, it's not a trick question, we can play along. Adam, the first bridegroom in the Bible. He's he's got a slight problem as a bridegroom because he's got no wife. In fact, there's no woman Anywhere, so he's struggling slightly to be a bridegroom until God takes him and lays him down in in the dust and puts him into a deep sleep. I mean, it's like he's dead, almost. He's lying in the dust of the earth and then God takes one of his ribs. This is in Genesis chapter 2, right? God takes one of his ribs. Now, in order to get a rib out of someone, it's quite a violent act. It's difficult to get a rib. If I was going to take one of Johnny's ribs right now, It would involve quite a lot of blood and quite a lot of mess. You would punch a hole in their side in order to break out a rib to take the rib. And then it says in Genesis 2, he then closed up the place with flesh. So he definitely made a hole in Adam's side. Stick with this, it has got a point. He takes the rib and he makes the woman. And the first wedding happens between Adam and Eve. And the woman came out of the side of the man. And that was always a picture of what marriage was supposed to be. And it was always pointing to something bigger. It was always God. He put it into creation to say, this is a little trailer. This is a trailer of something I'm going to do, which is way bigger than this. Because he says, you see this man and this woman standing here, marries her coming out of his side. You see that? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the bridegroom and I'm going to take a people to marry them and to be their people. God says it's going to be me and my people and we're going to be married. Very beautiful. This is what marriage points us to. But the trouble is that the people weren't willing. The people were rebellious. They said, no, we don't want to be married to you. They ran off and they didn't want God. And so God, what would he do? He could just punish them and say, no, forget it. But instead, God sent his son into the world. And when Jesus came into the world, he died on a cross. And as Jesus was laid in the dust of the earth, as Jesus was laid in the dust, do you know what they did to his side? They punctured a hole in his side. They took a spear. They punched his side. And from his side, blood flowed. And from the side of the man, the church was born. He's the bridegroom who came to give his life in order to bring about a bride, his church, his people. And the point, the whole story of the Bible, and then if you read the story to the end, it ends with a great wedding. Now the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This is the story of the Bible. It's the story of God and his people, the bridegroom and his bride, the one who comes into the world in order to take the bride. And do you know what? Here's the point, right? We deserve to be ignored by God. We deserve to be cast off by God because of how we lived. But instead, he's come to you and he said, I want you to be part of my people. I want you to be part of my bride. He wants you. And he wants you so much that he sent his son that his son, from the blood that flowed from his side, would buy you, would pay for your sin so that you could be part of his bride. And here's the issue. It is only Jesus who can do that. Fasting cannot make you one of God's people. Fasting cannot save you. In fact, nothing in that grey bit. No law can save you. You cannot obey the rules and be saved by God. You can't fast. In fact, look. It's only Jesus who can do that. In fact, let me spell this out even more clearly. It isn't just that fasting can't save you. It's that fasting can't do anything that Jesus can do for you. Fasting, right, get this clear. Fasting cannot make you more holy. Only Jesus can do that. Fasting cannot bring you closer to God. Only Jesus can do that. Fasting cannot make your prayers more acceptable to God. Only Jesus can do that. We've got to make sure that we don't pretend that fasting will do something for us that actually only Jesus can do. So whether you fast or not, as a Christian, makes no difference to how God feels about you. Because only Jesus can do that. The only question that matters... Is it you trusting Jesus? Do you know him? Has he forgiven your sin? Has he welcomed you in? Has he made you holy? Does he make your prayers acceptable? You see? Fasting cannot do what Jesus can do. And that's why Jesus says in verse 19, why would they fast when I'm here? Don't you understand? He's saying to the Pharisees and to the disciples of John, don't you understand who I am? We're in the yellow bit now, guys. We're in the yellow bit. We're not fasting now. We're celebrating the fact that the bridegroom has come. So fasting cannot do what Jesus can do. Here's the second point. And that is that fasting flows out of what Jesus has done. So in this this dark yellow bit, in that bit, true fasting, new fasting, happens when we are changed by Jesus and out of that flows a desire for him. So before Jesus came, fasting could not make you holy. It could not make you right with God. But now that Jesus has come and we're now made right with God, well, now we can fast in a new way. Now, just to caveat this, in case anyone's interested, although I, I, I fear that probably most of you are struggling to keep up. But no, no it's fine. The um, there are people in the Old Testament who do it right, but what they were doing was they were trusting the yellow bit in advance, right? So there were people who were right with God and fasting rightly in the Old Testament. Because, but these guys weren't. The Pharisees weren't. Here's a striking thought. The Pharisees were fasting twice a week. Imagine that. How many people here fast twice a week? The Pharisees were fasting twice a week. And God didn't care. God didn't hear their prayers. We know that because in Luke 18, there's a Pharisee who stands up and says, I fast twice a week. And Jesus says, Actually, no, the uh, tax collector, the wicked tax collector, he's, be- he's justified and you're not. It is perfectly possible to fast all your life and to know nothing of God because only Jesus can do that. So fasting cannot do what Jesus can do, but it flows out of what Jesus has done. And so from verse 20, when Jesus says the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, on that day they will fast. You see, now fasting becomes about a longing for Jesus, the bridegroom. It now becomes about a desire for him, a desire to love him, a desire to know him more. So the reality is that um, We live in a world that's so full of distraction, where we can distract ourselves all the time. Where, Whenever anything slightly stressful or difficult comes along, we can find something that will take our minds off it, take our eyes off it. We can find something that will help us. And those distractions can take our eyes off of Jesus and take our eyes off of the hope that we have in him and instead we transfer it to something else and so in these last few minutes I just want us to think what would it look like for us to fast in this new way and that's what we're going to try and do this week um, in the week of prayer you see if you pray this week it will cost you something it will cost you something To fast means to deny yourself in order to give attention to Jesus and God. So if you are going to pray, you will have to deny yourself something in order to pray. So, let me give you some examples. If you're going to come and join us to pray at 7.30 in the morning, each morning at the early morning prayer meetings, then you deny yourself sleep in order to pray. Do you see that? Now you may say, um, but I thought sleep was a good thing. Yes, it is. Sleep is an excellent thing. Sleep is a good gift from God that should be celebrated and delighted in. But sometimes it's right to give up something which is good in order to prefer something which is better. And so there's an opportunity for us to fast, as it were, from sleep. I've got to say to you that that isn't wise to do that all the time. And if you're someone who needs lots of sleep, you've got to know yourself. But hey, you could go to bed earlier. You could fast, you could stop fasting from sleep in the evenings and go to bed then and get up. You see that, but there's a cost to that. It might mean that you fast from watching an episode on Netflix. Everything in you wants to just flop on the sofa and watch Netflix. It will be costly to you to say, actually, you know what? Jesus, because I prefer you, I'm going to switch that off and spend this 40 minutes praying. Do you see see what I'm getting at? On uh, On Wednesday evening... Manchester United are playing Tottenham. That might not bother you in the slightest. But it might do. And there is an opportunity for us to start. I'm going to prefer coming to pray with my church family than watch a sports game. Is it wrong to watch sport? No. Would it be wrong for you to choose to watch that instead of come to prayer meeting? No. But here's an opportunity where you could And all of it because we're not living in the solid yellow yet. We're living in the grey bit. And there will be all sorts of opportunities this week. And it might be from food. It might be that you say, I'm going to give up one lunch time this week. And I'm not going to eat and I'm going to give the time instead to pray. Is that because food's a bad thing? No, absolutely not but sometimes we give up a good thing to prefer a better thing. Now, let me just talk very practically. If you decide that you're going to give up food and you're not used to fasting, it may be, for most of us in this room, it's probably quite a new thing. I, I guess most of us probably haven't thought about this a lot. Don't start dramatic and awesome. You know, that's what we like to do, isn't it? That's right, okay, John i I'm going to fast all week. I'm not going to eat anything till next Sunday. And you're staggering next Sunday. I've had the worst week of my entire life. Start with something manageable. It's not about how long because fasting doesn't save you. God isn't impressed by you. Wow, you fasted for three days. Oh, you just fasted from your mid-morning Mars bar. Can I tell you that fasting from that may be a precious thing to say, "God, I prefer you. I, I, I want you." I know a sen- I know quite a senior church leader who realized that his evening bowl of ice cream had become too important to him. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that. Is that ice cream wrong? No. But he made a decision for a month he wouldn't have it. Just in order to say, this thing does not master me. This thing is not too important to me to give up. My, my guess is that probably for many of us that would be something to do with our phones. Could you give up something on your social media for a day? Two days? In order that you spend the amount of time you're on social media, instead you could pray. Do you see? We've got to be creative. We've got to think about this. All because we don't yet live in the solid yellow. Because we still live in a world where life is hard. So that's how we might go about fasting. But why would we do that? Why would we fast? What would be a reason to fast? There's a few reasons, I think, that you can see in the Bible. I think fasting can be an expression of sorrow. Perhaps you feel sorrow over your own sin, over your own state of your heart, or perhaps you feel um, sorrow over the state of this world. That would be a reason to fast. I just want to spend some time talking to my father about this. Perhaps you feel yourself in massive need. There's a situation you're facing and it's too hard, it's too big, it feels impossible to you. That may be something that would make you go, you, you know what, I'm just going to have a go. It may be that you've got a decision to make. It may be that there's someone you're longing to invite to the carol service. It may be that there's something going on. It mean, may there's something you see in this world that's not right. And fasting can just be a way of saying to God, help me, humbling myself. Help me. You see, fasting has to be linked to prayer. There's no point fasting if you don't pray. It is really about getting our hearts set on God and when we're in need, crying out to him and saying, please help me. It may be that you want to get someone else to fast with you. You say, look, would, there's this thing that I'm struggling with. Could, would we? Could we fast together? Perhaps we just miss a meal and we say we'll pray together for that time. Think about it. Have a talk to others about it. Ask others about fasting. Why not turn to someone after the service and say, Do you ever fast? Because they'll either say yeah all the time. And you go, oh, terrific. Can you help me to learn? Or they'll say no. At which point you go, terrific, let's learn together. This is something we can help each other with. But just as we finish then, let me just say this. Here are, here are some wrong ways to fast. I, I, I so am anxious that you would hear this wrongly. So let me emphasize this as we finish. Um, here are some wrong types of fast. An enforced fast is wrong. That is a fast where you are forced to fast. That is where I stand up and say, right, all of you have to fast. There is no warrant for that in the Bible. Because fasting is a voluntary thing. Fasting is something you choose to do, not something you're forced to do. If you don't want to fast, fine, don't fast. It doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He saves you. You don't have to fast. The New Testament doesn't command you to fast. You don't have to. Chill out. Relax about it. Don't be impressed by people who do. But perhaps explore how this could be a, a gift that God has given for you to use. So be careful of an enforced fast. Fast. Be careful of a disconnected fast. That is a fast where you kind of fast over here, but it makes no difference to the rest of your life. It needs to be part of everything else that's going on. In Isaiah 58, if you're taking notes, you could read that later. Isaiah 58, God says to his people, you're fasting, but you don't care about the poor. That's rubbish. What kind of a fast is that? Here you are fasting because you think I'm going to listen to you, and you're being unjust. Why would I listen to your prayers if that's going on? So we must pursue fasting with a connectedness with our lives that says, God, I want all of my life to be pleasing to you, all of my life to praise you. And be careful of fasting that leads to pride. It is very easy to be smug and to be proud. And actually, fasting is to do the exact opposite. My guess is if you try fasting and you think, "Oh, this is going to make me an awesome human being," actually, what will do is it will be really hard, and you'll find it really frustrating, and it will actually make you realize just how sinful your heart is. On the few occasions when I've fasted. My experience has not been one of glorious spiritual victory. It has been one of me feeling miserable, tired, and thinking about food all day. And going, wow, this thing really matters to me. And that's part of God showing you and helping us to learn who we are and learn the things that matter to us. If I try and live without my phone for a day, I think it might help me to see just how much I love my phone. See? See? then God can begin to help us. But all of it needs to flow out of what Jesus has done. All of it flows out of what he's done for us. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He's the bridegroom who bought us with his own blood. He loves us. He treasures us. And none of that changes whether you fast or not. So why not take this stuff and go away and think about it? Think about the ways that we can still live as if we're in the grey bit, whether it's fasting or praying or giving or whatever it is that you think God is impressed by. No, 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 it's only Jesus who can do that for you. But once you know Jesus, then you do begin to pray and to fast in a new way. And why not explore that this week? We're going to um, pray now and then Anna is going to come and tell us about this coming week, and some things that we can think about, and some ways that I hope we can really engage with what we've been learning. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we don't live in the grey bit anymore. Thank you that we don't live in the bit before Jesus. Thank you that, Jesus, you, the bridegroom, have come. You've died to buy your people for yourself. But, Lord Jesus, we're sad too because we don't yet live in the endless yellow bit. We don't let yet live in that kingdom of perfect peace and justice. We, we still live in a world where there's brokenness in our own hearts. There's sin and we see it and we hate it. And, Lord Jesus, we're sorry and we pray that you would teach us to trust you and from what you've done for us to overflow in our lives, lives of dependence, where we don't distract ourselves with, with TV and food and other good things, but things that would dra- distract us from you. But instead, we pursue you and we trust you and we love you. Lord, teach us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.